0: or maybe we've heard about it and we think we know about it. It's the same thing, like if anybody was here for the series on the book of Daniel, you know, sometimes we hear about uh, these books as kids, and we hear about them as children's stories, and they have like really nice messages. Like the book of Daniel, if you remember, like the kids' version of the message of the book of Daniel was sort of, how do I uh, stand up in the face of uh, sort of people who disagree with me, who don't think like me? And so that's sort of the basic image of of the book of Jonah. I mean, sorry, the book of Daniel. So what is it for Jonah? One element of the book of Jonah that everybody knows all the time is the fish, right? The whale or the fish. Do you know how many times that the the fish is mentioned in the book? we know? Twice. Just twice. Just twice. Even though we think the book of Jonah is about a guy and a fish, but he's only mentioned in like two sentences in the entire story. Okay? The fish is not what the story is about. The fish is not what the story is about. So if we make... The whale, or the fish, the focus, or the main theme is to actually miss what the story is about. Because the book of Jonah is part of the Bible. What is the purpose of the Bible? Is the purpose of the Bible to have children's stories to entertain children? No. Right? That's not the purpose of the Bible. Is the purpose of the Bible to teach us about fish? No. That's great. not the purpose of the Bible. Its purpose. What's the purpose of the Bible? Pay so, attention to this. You understand when you read. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal the character or the characteristics of God. To reveal God to us. To reveal Christ to us. His character, his purposes, and what he's up to in the world. Okay. That's so what every book of the Bible is for. To reveal God. Right. The Bible tells us that no one has seen God at any time, and we only see what He reveals to us. He reveals Himself in Christ. So the Bible, the purpose of the Bible, is to reveal God to us. So whatever the book of Jonah is supposed to be about, it has to do this. It's doing this. Okay? And so if I think about the book of Jonah as anything else, or any of the book of the Bible as anything else, I maybe need to go, I'm on the wrong track, I need to kind of go back. So what this book is really doing, Jonah, as we will see, is sort of a representative character in this story. He represents, The covenant people of God. You remember the the promised land, you know, the people, God made a promise with the covenant people, the Jewish people. So he represents the good people in the world who God wants to do good things in the world through, okay? And what this book does is by exposing Jonah, like Jonah is not really that good of a person in the the story. If you'll see, we'll see as we go, Jonah is not really that great of a person in the story, at least for some parts of the story. Okay? Every chapter in the in the book of Jonah exposes some weaknesses in in his in his character, some flaws in who he is. And by holding up Jonah as a person to, to ridicule to look at it and say he's not doing what's right, the book is actually trying to do or aim at something else. How many of you guys have seen a movie, like an action movie, where like um there's a bad guy and he's trying to he's trying to sort of catch the good guy and the good guy's running away and all of a sudden the good guy hides in a corner somewhere and then he's just he's standing there he thinks he's hidden and he sees all of a sudden like a red laser pointed at like his chest like some sniper is coming to shoot him anybody seen any movie like that like every every movie is like that right (laughs) every action movie is like that okay that is actually what allah is like the book of jonah because you're reading the story of the book of jonah and you think to yourself, as we'll get into it in a minute, like when you read the stories in the, in the book, you look at it and say, man, Jonah's crazy. What is Jonah doing? And, and, and you said, why is he acting like that? And then there's a fish, and what's that? What's going on? And all of a sudden, if you pay attention, you realize the book of Jonah is about me. It's pointing at myself. I thought I'm safe. I thought I'm just watching some story. I thought I'm watching just some events. But what I realized is the book of Jonah is about me, okay? It's exposing, the the events in the story are exposing sort of the worst tendencies that we sometimes have, that sometimes are inside of God's people. Pride, hard-heartedness, judgmentalism, small-mindedness, right? And it shows a little bit of an inability to grow and to change and to let God's mercy sort of surprise me and to sort of broaden the boundaries of what I thought was possible in the world. Okay, that's what the book of Jonah is about. It's one of the things where you're just thinking you're reading this sort of kind of harmless story about a prophet and a whale and all this stuff, but it's actually trying to convey a really important message, okay? That's the book of Jonah. So, I'll give a little bit of background so that we can be on the same page and understand um, sort of what's going on in the book. Um, The book of Jonah makes a lot of assumptions about our knowledge, okay? It's kind of like, well, probably, I don't really watch these, but maybe there are some people who watch soap operas, right? Soap operas come on daytime television, so if you're in school you probably don't watch soap operas too much. But basically they go on like day and day and day and they have like a huge story, okay? So if you just sort of came in in the middle of a a soap opera, you would be very confused because there are a lot of characters, a lot of things happening, and you just have no idea what's going on. And it'll take you a couple days to sort of catch up because there's a lot of backstory, okay? There's some backstory here that you need to know. This is the first verse. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Okay, we'll just stop there. That's all. With this first sentence, what kind of book am I reading? If I just open up the book of Jonah, what kind of book am I reading? How do I know what kind of book I'm reading? Right? There's a clue right here in the first couple words. It says, The word of the Lord comes to what kind of people? Who does the word of the Lord come to? The prophets. Right? of the Lord comes to the prophets, So we're reading, or the the book is trying to tell us that we are reading a prophetic book, right? That we're reading a prophetic book. Look at the book that comes right after Jonah. This is the book of Micah, comes right after Jonah. It says, the word of the Lord that came to, see, it's almost exactly the same. The word of the Lord that now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, right? So the first verse is trying to tell you, hey, we're gonna read a prophetic book. We're gonna read a prophetic book. (laughs) and in Micah's case like there's some words of poetry it's prophetic poetry talking about Israel and what happens, is going to happen in Israel all this kind of stuff so when we read the first sentence of the book of Jonah we say, okay, the word of the Lord came to uh, Jonah the son of Amittai, I'm about to read a prophetic book, I know what kind of book it is am I right? is the book of Jonah a prophetic book? is it? it's not it's not really a prophetic book, right? it's a narrative, it's a story it's a story. So the first sentence sort of throws you off. Everything is different in this book. And that's exactly the point, that's on purpose. Okay, that's on purpose. The first sentence throws you off because you think you're about to read a collection of Jonah's prophetic prophecies. Maybe he could have done a bunch of poems about Nineveh and how it's gonna be destroyed and how the people need to come back and how God is gonna uh, you know, have mercy on them if they come back. But what is the book of Jonah actually about? It's not a prophetic book. It's a book about a prophet. Okay? The Book of Jonah is not a prophetic book, it's a book about a prophet. So you want to just maybe think about that for a second. The Word of God in the Bible comes in many different forms in the Scriptures, okay? Sometimes God's Word God's word is to Him speaking to His people directly through a prophet through His words, like the Book of Micah, like I was saying. The Book of Jonah is God's Word to His people through a story about a prophet. So if I want to hear God's Word, have to read, and reread, and meditate, and think about the message of the story, right? the message of the entire story. Okay, so there are biblical scholars out there who claim that Jonah is just a parable, he's not really a real person. Orthodoxy and, and the Church Fathers sort of reject this, this position because uh, we actually see some evidence that Jonah is a real uh, historical uh, person, okay? I want to talk for just a second, what type of literature is the book of Jonah, okay? Old the literature is the Book of Jonah. The Book of Jonah has a couple of different types, but actually has something that is very surprising—that maybe would not found in any other book of the Bible. I would say the Book of Jonah is satire. Satire. Anybody know what satire means? Anybody know what satire is? Is it like extra a home thing? No, no. So. Let me think of what I can think of that can be satire. I know something I can think of, but I don't know if you guys would know it. So Saturday Night Live is satire, okay? Saturday Night Live is satire. What Saturday Night Live is, is they will take politicians, and they will dress people up to look like them, and they will, like, make them say funny things and do funny things, sort of make fun of the politician, okay? And then you're laughing about sort of the crazy, wild thing that the politician is doing, or the actor, or whoever it is, okay? That's what sort of Saturday Night Live is. And actually, the Book of Jonah is a lot... Like that, you you sort of place these people in extreme, ridiculous stories just to highlight maybe their flaws or their mess-ups or their screw-ups. Okay, and the whole time you're la- you're you're watching it and you're laughing and you think it's so funny, but actually Saturday Night Live is a commentary about American culture, right? And we are American culture, so actually the the, the, the show is really a sort of making you think to yourself to make fun of yourself, right? These are the people we've held up to high esteem, and now. I'm making them look ridiculous so it's not just about them really it's about it's a commentary on myself right i'm the one who helped put these people or make these people sort of who they are so that's what the book of jonah is okay the book of jonah is full of sort of like generic characters so you have the prophet who's supposed to be the man of god right the religious person and what is the first thing he does in the first chapter the religious person the man of god the prophet what does he do he runs away That's the first thing he does. And he's the most hard-hearted and stubborn person in the entire book. God has to physically take him on his mission that he's going to do, and spit him out of the mouth of the fish to get him to do anything. And then Jonah, all he does, if you read the book of Jonah, he preaches a five-word sermon. Okay? Five words. And he goes and preaches it in Nineveh, and it's actually very successful. And then what happens? How does Jonah feel? so angry he's so mad so angry he wants to die so angry that he wants to die okay and the book ends with him sort of being mad at god for being too merciful and that he would rather die than sort of live in this way with god that's the man of god in the story and then you think about who are the bad guys in the story or who were supposed to be the bad guys in this story maybe the sailors in chapter one maybe the ninevites right They're the most sort of murderous, sort of oppressive people on the planet, and they don't have any consciences. But what do they do to God's word? What do they do to the five-word sermon? They respond, right? They repent, they change. Even the cows are repenting in Nineveh, right? The cows fast than everybody else. So everything is this sort of kind of extreme, and nobody behaves according to their stereotypes. The other feature in the book is sort of like I, would, I don't know how to describe it except sort of like a comic book. Okay, everything is way over the top. Okay, in Hebrew, the word for the word for huge in Hebrew occurs 15 times in the, in the book, even though the book is only four chapters. Okay, everything is big. In the, everything is huge in the book of Jonah. The storm is huge. The ship is huge. The, si- the fish, the city. You know, actually, the city in the book it says that the city is 45 miles wide. Okay, there is actually no city in the ancient world that is 45 miles wide. Nineveh was a huge city, but Nineveh, like the archaeology, says it's about seven miles wide. So the author, Jonah is trying to say, it's just a really huge place, a really huge city, right? So Jonah, even when he says like, just one second, I can ask a question. So when Jonah is, even when he's happy, he's like very or hugely happy, and when he's afraid, he's very afraid, okay? So everything in the book is sort of extreme. That's what the author's trying to do. He's trying to tell us a story and wrapping it up, and, and so we go, oh, look at this crazy story, look at this guy, who would ever act like this? And then he finishes this, so he said, oh, that's me. I act like that. Part of it, too, is sometimes you know, we don't expect that sort of kind of thing in the Bible, and so we don't look for it, right? If you don't think that there's satire or there's humor in the Bible or irony in the Bible, you're never gonna see it. But once you do, all of a sudden you realize that the book of Jonah is sort of this dynamite thrown at God's people to wake them up to His love and to His compassion, okay? That's the book of Jonah. Okay, so we look at the first verses, or the first verse. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, a son of Amittai. Right away, if you were a Jewish person reading this, you would start laughing. That was the first joke already. You see it? That A little bit obvious, right? So, Jonah, the word Jonah means dove, and Amittai means faithfulness, Okay? So dove images of the Bible of a dove. The Bible, when it conveys a dove, what is it trying to say about the, per, about the thing? Innocence, purity, right? Pure, innocent. So Jonah is sort of the pure, innocent, son of faithfulness. That's what he's saying about Jonah. Jonah is the pure, innocent, son of faithfulness. That should make you laugh because he is the most faithless character in the story. Right? You look at it, he's the one who's doing the exact opposite of all of the stuff. So he says, the word of the Lord says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. So again, there's a whole bunch, just like I talked about the soap opera before, there's a whole bunch of backstory here. The people who would just read this, they already know about Nineveh. They know who Nineveh is. They know what the country is like. And you're also supposed to know about Jonah. Because Jonah appears another time in the Old Testament, which is one of the reasons why we know Jonah is a real historical figure. If you had that background knowledge, you read Jonah and you're supposed to go, and he's supposed to go to Nineveh, you know, you, you would start laughing. Jonah is the perfect person to be the main character of the story, for a bunch of different reasons. There's, I think I can find the one other time that Jonah was mentioned in the Bible. It's in 2 Kings. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of Ereba, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hepher. Jonah comes sort of in his place in history, sort of in the middle of the kingdom period after Je- after David, before the last book in the Old Testament, okay? So for most of us, if we're reading the book, it's like, let's say I'm reading 2 Kings, I'll read this story, and I'll say, okay, king with a funny name, uh, he looks like he got some more land, oh, uh, Jonah, oh, I remember him, I know him, and then you just kinda sorta move on, right? We wouldn't really think twice about it. That's what most of us probably do. but. Let's look about. It. Let's think about it a little bit. Jo- Jeroboam, the king, good guy or bad guy? Jeroboam is the good guy or bad guy? What does verse 24 say? And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. So Jeroboam is bad guy. Actually, he's named after the person who revolted in Jerusalem, and is the reason why that the, the people of Israel are two kingdoms: the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Remember after Solomon, Solomon had a son Rehoboam, Rehoboam wasn't very smart, wasn't a good guy. So then Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam sort of revolted against them and then there, was, so there were 10 cities or 10 countries that made up Israel and then the two countries that made up Judah. So they were the, he was the reason, one of the reasons for the split, the person he was named after. So Jeroboam, really bad God, okay? Jonah, what kind of prophecy did he sort of prophesy about Jeroboam? A good one, right? He talked to him about how he's going to restore the territory of Israel. So now if you're reading the book of Jonah, you're thinking, Jonah, yeah, he's the guy who prophesied a really good thing happening to a really bad guy. Not only that, but if you look at Amos later in chapter 7, Amos actually reverses all of this, and the people that they conquer come back and take all the extra territory and conquer them. So if you're reading this, you think, Jonah, the son of Amittai, or Dove, son of faithfulness, And you're thinking, "Mm, you know, I don't really know about this guy. He prophesied that Israel was increasing the territory, and that's what he's known for, and now he's going to go ask to preach to Israel's most hated enemies, and we'll see why he runs away from that in just a second. So the people of Nineveh that he's going to preach to, are they good guys or bad guys? Good guys or bad guys? Man, they're bad guys. They were some of the most brutal, oppressive, violent, of the ancient empires. Okay? So their normal practice was plunder a city, skin all the leaders of the city in front of everybody else, and then deport the remainder of people back to Assyria. And so God's been like shown, shown this great king and he's 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 surveying the realm and he's saying the oppression of, of, of and the injustice of Nineveh has risen to me and I don't want it to continue anymore. So he sends his messenger Jonah to preach to them. What does he do? It says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay. So what was his reason for running? Or Why did he want to run away? Or why did he want to go away? What oh, was he trying to flee? He was trying to flee from where? To go where? He's going away from the presence of the Lord, right? Actually, here's, here's a little uh, map. This is where they are. This is where God told him to go. And this is where he was planning, the ship was planning to go to. So literally, the end of the known world is where he was going. He was trying to go as far away. Do You know like when people say, I don't know if you guys, anybody ever says this, but when they say like, oh, where is that place? Well, it's in Timbuktu. And we just mean that, just means we're super far away. This is like Timbuktu. It's like super far away in the exact opposite way of the direction that he's trying to go, right? So Jonah's supposed to go east, just a little bit east, and instead he goes way west. So Jonah just doesn't flee. He flees as far as he possibly can, right? So that's what I was talking about where it's like a comic book. It doesn't just say he just goes the wrong way or refuses to go. He has to go like way farther than he was supposed to go, Okay. He doesn't just maybe, like he could have just gone down to Egypt a couple hundred miles, wouldn't have been that far. He's trying to run as far and far away, as far in the opposite direction as he possibly can. And you're supposed to think when you're reading this, man, this guy is strange. What does he keep doing? He's a prophet. Doesn't he know what the Bible says? Right? Where can I go from your spirit? where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Right? So we're saying that it's obvious from the book of Psalms that God is not going to find him wherever he goes. And this person is a prophet, a man of God. He should know about this. Right? He should know this. He should be familiar. But there's something inside Jonah's heart, inside his mind, and sort of scrambling his view of reality. Anybody know why Jonah ran? Yeah to be like made a fool of in front of the people because he said that um like god will destroy you and then they repented and god didn't destroy them they would think he's a liar and that would ruin his reputation close very close very close think what would be a normal reason why you wouldn't want to maybe preach to nineveh nineveh's evil people they don't like god they, they they're not gonna you don't think that they're gonna respond well to god what would be a normal reason to think to yourself you know what i don't want to preach there He's going to be like scared of the people, what they could do to him. Exactly. Imagine if I came to sort of uh, maybe, I don't know, like uh, Nazi Germany and I said I'm going to preach to Nazi Germany and tell them about how everybody's created equal and everybody's the same and you shouldn't like uh, oppress certain groups of people. How would that go for me? Not very well, right? (laughs) That wouldn't go very well. So a normal reason to maybe not want to preach would be like, I'm afraid. I'm worried that the people are not going to handle my words or not going to accept my words and so I don't really want to say those things. But if we look actually in uh, chapter 4 in the book, I don't think I put it here on the slides, but if you look at chapter 4, verse 1. In chapter 3, he preaches the five-word sermon to repent, for them to repent. And so the city and the king and the cows all fast and everybody repents. But to Jonah... The fact that the Ninevites would find forgiveness and mercy, this to him seems wrong, very wrong. He's angry at the success of his own preaching. He becomes angry, actually he prays to God. And you can imagine, he says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still back at home? This is what I was so, he's like, this is what I was so quick to sort of flee. I know that you are gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. And now, Lord, take away my life. It would be better for me to die than live. Why did, Nineveh, why did he want to go? not want to go to Nineveh? Why did he not want to go? Because he knew what? He that God would be merciful. This is why he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go because he knew if he would go and he would preach that God would forgive them and God would save them from destruction. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. He said, it would be better for me to die than live. Jonah, whose name means dove, son of faithfulness, right? He tells you exactly why he runs. He's not afraid. He knew that somehow God would find a way to sort of bring his mercy to his people through repentance. He knew that there was going to be a happy ending. He doesn't want a happy ending for his people. So that's really what's going on. So, Jonah, I can you imagine? Jonah in his mind has a plan. He has a wonderful plan for his life. He has a vision of his sort of prophetic career and how it's going to go. And it doesn't include this mission preaching to the Ninevites. So, he, especially for a prophet in the northern kingdoms, where Nineveh was sort of the biggest threat to them, to be a prophet that brings forgiveness and life and repentance to the most hated enemies of your people, that's not going to go over very well. That's not a way to win friends or be popular. That's why, kind of what you're saying too. That's going to make him suspect among his own people. He doesn't want it to work out. Anymore. And so this is really the source or the base of what's happening inside of Jonah's heart. He knows perfectly well that God loves to show mercy. He knows somehow the Ninevites are going to find this mercy. And that doesn't fit into his vision of what his life is about. He's like, no well, thanks. Then run to Tarshish. So really the book of Jonah begins with an explanation of the nature and the psychology of disobedience. Okay, that's really what the book is about. The nature and the psychology of disobedience. If you think about the word obey, obey or obedience, most of us don't have like amazing positive connotations with the word, right? It's not a positive idea in our culture especially. When we read this, it says, the word of the Lord that came to Jonah, go to this great city, and we go, okay, here we go again. God is just commanding people to do this and do that, telling them where to do, what to do and where to go. And God is really, He loves to do that, just boss people around. Right? That's how many of us actually sometimes think of God, think of how He is, and maybe He's on some sort of like power trip. What kind of God, what kind of deity just loves to push people around and tell people what to do? Some of us have this vision of God for different reasons. Maybe because that's what we were taught growing up, right? But the biblical vision of God is very different. And think about this command. God is commanding Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh. There are so many things or ways that this could have been done. God could do like what he did on Mount Sinai, right? How did he appear to Moses and preach to them and tell them to be that they're gonna be his people, right? He, became, he came in fire and a bush and he spoke to him from the bush, a big thing, and there was smoke on the mountain, and everybody could see it. That would have been very effective to do in Nineveh. Right? It would have worked. But God almost never does this kind of thing in the Bible. What happened in Mount Sinai is very unique. Most commonly, he chooses to work through his people. That's the primary vehicle that God chooses to work through. Through his people, through his covenant people. And so what's actually happening here when the Lord is saying, go to Nineveh, That Jonah is being invited to step into a story that is much broader, much bigger than himself. Bigger than anything he signed up for. Jonah has a vision for what his life is about, what his prophetic career is going to be about. And here God is clearly calling him into a different direction. And Jonah says, I'm not interested. And what this comes down to is the way that we need to rethink what obedience means in the Bible. Is that sometimes God... Has and we have competing visions of what life is about. Of what a good life consists of. And you and I usually operate according to our vision of our life and how it should go. That would be our default. And we we'll behave in ways that make the most sense to us given our circumstance. That's what we do. That's how we operate. And so if you think about Christ comes into the picture and he says, follow me. And there's a bunch of things that you're doing in your life, and that you think is life, but it's actually not life at all. And that's what's happening right here. It's this competing vision of life. When God calls his people, the first thing that I'm confronted with when I'm called by God is, am I going to settle for a path, or the path that I already am on, the one that I know, and what I call life, or am I going to entertain this new invitation to life? And so you have this sort of irony in the book of Jonah it's an exposure of the brokenness of people that's very easy for us especially to train ourselves that being in church we're doing pretty good, we're involved in whatever doing whatever and so we're like yeah okay I'm just trying to make progress but then there's maybe a clear, glaring area of our lives where we know we're being called to grow or we're being called to change and somehow we just end up somehow, even us who are in church, we put that on the side and we say, yeah, we know. But I'm not gonna change my life too much. I have my vision of what my life is supposed to be about. So I tell God, no. We say, not really. I can do some things, but not this. Right? I'll go to church on Sunday. And then, you should be happy with me then. That's sort of how we operate. And so in the, in the book, we have this very religious man, Jonah and who, when it comes down to it, this core issue where his vision of his life is different than the vision that God has for him, he runs. Right? He's running to Tarshish. And the sad thing about it is he thinks he's running for his life. He's running for the good of his life. He thinks that God is ruining his life and he's running away. And the tragedy, actually, is that he's running from life. He has a chance to participate in The the movement of God's mercy and God's grace to the people of Nineveh. God is inviting him to be a part of this, and he's totally going to miss out on it because he's running away, thinking, "I'm running towards the life I want." Right? I mean, I think it reminds me a lot of maybe because I'm uh, super involved with the kids. I reminds me of my kids when 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 I'm when we're playing outside and they see a dog across the street. Okay. So we're playing, we're having fun, whatever, and all of a sudden, they see the dog. What do they want to do about the dog, right? So they start running as fast as they can. They don't even think about it, and they're just darting through the street to get to the dog. What do I do? Grab the kids as fast as I can. I tell them that they can't go. Why do I do that? Because they're not looking for cars. They're gonna get hit. In that moment, when I grab Naomi, and I just take her like this, and I just take her in the middle, what does she feel? What does she feel? Sad. Sad. but was ruining my fun. That's my life, right? To go touch that dog, that's life. But what is it really? It's death, right? But the kid doesn't understand that, right? I only have goodwill for my son or my daughter, right? I love them. I want them actually to go see the dog, right? But all they understand in that moment is, you're crashing my party right now, right? Like his view or their view of the world, They have a vision of their life, and where things need to go. I can go see that dog, right? And how it's gonna work, and what it's gonna be like, and I'm ruining that. I'm clearly ruining that. And so in their mind, they're running for life, but they're actually, they're running for something better, for goodness in life. What they can't see is they're actually running from life. If they run across the street, and there's a car, done, right? I am very aware of this. That's exactly what's happening in the book of Jonah. That's exactly the image of what's happening. God wants Jonah to participate in this amazing event that God is going to have mercy on these people and have them to repent and he's inviting him to be a part of it. He can't see any of that. Jonah's blind to all of us. So he thinks he's running for his life. But he's running from life. And actually that's the situation that every single one of us finds ourselves every single day when we face a decision whether i really am going to follow Christ or not. And that's a whole vision of obedience, that's what's happening here. And the vision of obedience all summed up actually in the cross. Because when our Lord Jesus Christ calls us to follow Him, He's calling us to see that He was a human being. He was a faithful human being. The faithful covenant partner of God that none of us ever was, and none of us will ever will be until the other side of the second coming. And He lived for us in a way that we could never live. And He died to absorb the weight of the horrible, the stupid decisions that we make when we run from life. And when we run according to the vision of our own idea, what it is to have a good life. And in His mercy and in His love, He conquers this by raising from the dead so that He can offer us life and forgiveness. And so when I... If I'm going to come to Christ there's a death that takes place. It's the death to my vision of what it is to have a good life. A vision of what my life is about. I have to let this die. I have to let it die in faith that our Lord Jesus Christ is asking me, inviting me, to a much richer form of life than I could ever imagine. It might not involve maybe like a big house or nice cars or whatever. This is what actually Christ talks about in the Gospel of St. John chapter 10. To have life, he wants to have life, to have it, more wonder. That is so rooted in his love for me. That I, if I had faith, or I understood him correctly, I could only see he has only good things planned for me. He only has good things planned for me. And that when he tells me to stop, and to turn around, to come this way, or go that way, He only has my best in mind. Becoming or being a faithful Christian involves letting my vision of life go, to let that die. And even if I end up taking some of that back up, I take it up with a completely different perspective because now it's not my story at the center. Now I'm just a small player in the story of Christ whose work is in the world and is inviting me to be a part of it like he invited Jonah And so maybe our vision of our life is just too small. Our Lord Jesus Christ is inviting us to something different, something bigger. And so for some of us, we might have patterns, right? Patterns of behavior that we maybe need to stop. Patterns of thinking, ways of acting that do not lead to life. And we know it, and we're scared of letting it go, because that's what we know. It's all the life we know. It's the only thing we're familiar with. And following our Lord Jesus Christ is going to involve letting that die. And if I let that die, who knows what my life is going to look like after that. It's a choice I have. For some of us, it might not be stopping bad behaviors. It might be starting new behaviors that will invite us to life. And some of us, we run. Or we're lazy. Or we don't want to do the work that's involved with carving out time for solitude, for quiet. It's not part of our vision of what it means to have a good life. And so, if we're like this, we're never going to get there. And that's our loss. So whatever form it takes, maybe it's forgiveness of someone who's wronged me. Maybe spending less money on myself to give it more of it away. It's a competition of the use of my life. So I would encourage you as we begin this series to, to look at the book of Jonah as speaking to me directly. For those of us who are honest or self-aware to know that maybe I'm running too. Some areas of my life I might be doing good. But at the same time, I guarantee for all of us, there might be some part of my life where I'm trying to run to Tarshish as fast as I can, going the opposite direction of God. And Jesus is not welcome there. I don't want Him there. But if you want to experience life, if you want to have life and have it more abundantly, I have to let Him go. I have to let Him go there. I have to stop running. And so the beginning of the book, as we begin the series, is, is to answer this question, am I running from God in any way in any part of my life? And is a, a call for us to stop this running and to follow God and glory be to God forever and ever? Amen. And the power, the Son, and the Holy spirit. Now and ever, and unto the ages of the ages. Amen. We, we proclaim it to and our Lord Jesus. Our